1: Ultimately, you know, keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. This podcast is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. And with that, let's jump right into this week's podcast. This is our Latest edition of One Percent Better. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and Zach, we have life. We have a pulse. The Colts—they're not dead. Um, they- no, there's uh, there's there's
2: sun coming through my hotel window right now in San Francisco, which I haven't seen in about two days. It's a metaphor, so a- um, I think it is <laughs> wild. Game last night. We've covered some wild ones over the years. Last night was was one of the toughest weather condition games I think we've covered yeah. for the team. Down on the field, but I think they answered a lot of the questions that you needed to last
1: night, right? Yeah. So thirty to eighteen win over the San Francisco Forty ers and you know I had some notes sketched out here, and and it's exactly what you just said. I think my first bullet point here is that they're checking the boxes because that's all you can do at this point. You can just do what you can. I mean, you can't win the Super Bowl. You can't make the the playoffs today. All you can do is just. Stack them right. When you're one and four, you just win. However, you got to win, right? You know, and and that is exactly what you must do: is win. So they've won three out of four. Uh, look, they let a, They let an absolute heartbreak game get away. We know about Baltimore, but look, they're they've won three out of four. They are a team that is in the mix in a really jumbled AFC, and we'll get into that a little later. And I thought this was one of those games where look, no one's going to sort of change their view of the Colts after this game and say, oh, they're now a contender. Well, of course not, right? This wasn't that kind of game. The 49ers might not even be good. Honestly, I don't think that they are. But that's not the point. I think the point is they went in there. They were clearly the better team in this game. And I think we talked about that throughout the game in the press box last night. Like, I don't know what the final score was going to be. And I didn't even know at that point if they were going to pull it out. But it was clear to me. It was like, they're the better team. There's, There's like no question to me. That they were the better team. And I don't know that this is quite 2018 yet. After that 1-5 and five start, I don't know that they're going to get on that kind of role. But they're definitely a different team now than they were four weeks ago, I think. I mean, am I crazy? Yeah. No, no. And, and I've heard that. Like, you know,
2: I was on the field before the game and one of the coaches is like, in this league, you always overreact to wins and losses. But like we see this team getting better. I would agree with that. Yeah. And last night, I wanted to see a couple of things. I know the situation was tough. I know there were fumbles, and it was tough to throw it, although Frank Reich didn't really mind calling throws, and Carson Wentz had no had no problem yeah. launching it down the field. I wanted to see them put their foot on the gas and step on the throats of the 49ers. And I thought three guys did that. Really, I mean, it stood out to me. Darius Leonard with the takeaway, which is absurd. We'll get into that. But that dude is just absurd right now, what he's doing on the bum ankle. And I thought we really started to see what the offense is going to look like for the next three, four, five years. And I don't want to omit Carson Wentz from this category, but the future is, is Jonathan Taylor and it's Michael Pittman. These guys are not the triplets of old. They're not Manning Harrison edge like they're not. But they're the new triplets, right? I mean, this is the new trio of offense. And this is what it's going to look like. And this is who they're going to build around. And damn, you wrote about Taylor and I wrote about Pittman. Those guys were studs last night. And you could see the future on the field. You know, after JT's fumble on the first play, Carson turns to him and said, we're going to keep going to you. You're the best player on the field. And then late in the game, Frank going back in his mind to Baltimore saying, you know what, I'm not going to be conservative. I'm going to throw it to my best player. And Taylor... It, it, and then Pittman going up and getting it in the rain and making the best play of his career so far. Um, you know, as JT said, primetime players make primetime plays. Those two were the best on the field last night, and, and that's the future. And I think it was them really stepping on the throats of the 49ers and, and saying, we're not going to have a collapse like we did in Baltimore. We're going to finish this. It's going to be ugly,
1: but we're the better players on this, on this field right now. And they needed that
2: in a couple different ways.
1: Yeah, and this was one of those games where ugly is acceptable for sure, and and as you, we've already said that, so I'm not contradicting you. Yeah, so I think you do what you got to do. They did that, and you know, look, they're now three and four. They've got a massive game against the Titans next week. Got to have it. And as I said, we'll get into the AFC picture a little bit later. Even though there's a long way to go, I think it's really interesting already, uh, and and there's some interesting sort of developments shaping up. And, and so you hit on something there. This is not. I mean, not the most important thing in this game, but there have been, you have heard this and I have heard this, a lot of conversation from fans in previous weeks. Frank Reich, what is he doing? Uh, I don't know about this guy. And I get it, right? Football or fandom in general is emotional, right? And so the fact that it's emotional means that you are reactive. It's like like that coaching staff member was telling you, right? We we are all reactive. Right. So right. I get it. I'm not this is not a criticism. I'm i I'm trying to make a point here. And we were getting a lot of that, especially after the Baltimore game and some of those things. You know, why and they why weren't they more aggressive? And so what did we do? We always do this. We huddle before we talk to players and coaches a lot of times just to make sure that like all the questions that are pertinent get asked. Because there's nothing worse than going in there after the game, you get 10 or 15 minutes, you get one shot and they're on the plane. And if you didn't ask the question, you're just, you know, you're just out of luck. So what did we do? We talked about this in the press box, like, Hey, you know, and I thought it was Bob Kravitz who brought the point up. And it was great. He said, you know, what about how they went and took this game at the end there and just basically went for the win, went for the jugular. And what happened in, in Baltimore? I remember asking Frank Reich that evening, Hey, you, you, had an opportunity on a third down, and you basically just kind of like ran it up the middle and settled for a field goal, which they missed <laughs> with a hurt kicker. Yeah. we talked a lot about that yeah. on this podcast. Right, and so we went down to the press conference with the intent of kind of like really circling back to that and saying, hey, you did learn from that. And you know what? We never got the chance to ask because Frank Reich jumped right in <laughs> and said, yeah. damn it, I learned something. He, says, I, he literally referenced the Baltimore game. I thought that was... Really interesting. And then, you know, to that, that throw to Michael Pittman that you're talking about. And I think just generally throughout the game, they were way more aggressive than I ever thought they were going to be in that game. And I love it. I love it. Right? I mean, if those shots are there, hell, trust your guys and take them. And they did. Wouldn't wouldn't you trust Michael Pittman right now? The way he's drawing PIs? I mean. All day. And so let me just wrap this up real quick and I'll let you comment. But. The point I want to make here is that on the other side of the field, you had Kyle Shanahan, who I have no idea what he was doing. I think Kyle Shanahan is really, really smart. I have no idea what the hell he was doing last night. And it just goes to show you, I mean, he has had way more of these instances than Frank Reich has. I mean, this goes back to Atlanta in the Super Bowl. So what I'm saying is. You know some of the the play calling in the twenty eight to three game, right? So oh, I was at that game. Oh. <laughs> right? It actually happened, and so it's interesting. Like right? you know, so I'm not sitting here. I'm not here to tell you that Frank Reich is is coach of the year. No, I mean whatever you can feel however you want. But I'm just telling you, this guy has his act together, and I can't. It, it can be so much worse. Okay, look around the league at some what some of these coaches are doing. Frank Reich. He's kind of he's got it together. He has those instances where he gets maybe gets off track or he gets a little out of character here and there. And coaches do that, but now that his team is playing better, you're seeing I think the real Frank Reich. And and when it's a matchup like this, you're seeing him him run circles around the other guys. Um, right. Just, I mean. How much of, of what you're seeing from Frank and just the aggressiveness and all that, how much of it do you think is a product of just like, OK, now I got my team, you know, getting guys back from injury, etc. And the quarterback's yeah. getting comfortable. Is it that or is it just Frank saying, damn it, we're going to just go down fighting? It, it's definitely both. And, and Frank, you know,
2: it's an it's an imperfect game. And so fans are inherently going to react to what they that they just saw but a couple of things like the colts were not good to start the season that's a fact frank deserves blame for that like that's not changing and and he knows that and i think when they're bad and when they have weird play calls on the goal line and they had some red zone struggles man they had we talked about him yeah he deserves the blame for that but i don't hear a lot after games like last night i don't hear a lot of praise after he had a really good game last night. And they were the aggressors, and they were making the 49ers uncomfortable. And Shanahan was really inconsistent. I mean, even Darius said, like, one thing was working, and they got away from it. And I'm really happy they did. And the bootlegs were killing the Colts. And we could go on and on about that. But there's something to be said for the fact that he gets his tight end so open down the field. I mean, Frank Reich is, is a master at that. And look, he's he's growing, he's growing as a head coach. And Jim Mersey had a long talk with him in the spring about this. And he's like, you know, I'm going to extend Chris and Frank, and I think they're going to be better in year three than they were in year two, and better in year five than they year in year four. And with an aggressive play caller at coach, you're going to have games where it's like, what is he doing? It's going to happen. But I think you've got to balance it. And I don't hear a lot of. Um, Frank Reich had a great game last night. And I, I thought he had he's had a couple great games this season, including the first three quarters in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, but I think he's sort of a, accepting who they are, and I think they took them a while to figure that out. Who this team is is they're gonna run the ball with Taylor and they're gonna take shots on the sideline with Pittman. That's who they're gonna be. And they're starting to use a guy I've been clamoring for them to use for a long time, Mo'Elly Cox. Every time you throw to that dude, good stuff happens. He had three catches on three targets last night. Pittman had four catches on four targets, although it was really six catches on six targets, right, so with the two extra PIs. Um, but you're starting to see the vertical threat come back, and that was such a big part of, of Reich's offense. There's so many times in the press box when you and I turn to each other and say, we wouldn't have seen that last year. And his mobility is coming back, and, and you saw him on the bootleg touchdown, the RPO yesterday. With, with Wentz at 100%, you're going to see Frank Reich at 100%, if that makes sense. Oh, and yeah. it's going to be fun. And, and we said this all along in training camp. Even when Carson got hurt, we were like, look, it's going to take some time. It's going to take four to five weeks, just like it did with Rivers, for him to really settle in. But if we could just turn this real quick to the quarterback, I think it's fair to say Frank Reich was right about Carson Wentz. That dude's for real, and he can get it done for this team right now.
1: Yeah, look, I, I I think it's really po- it's it's really popular, and and maybe profitable in the media to be you know doom and gloom, you know, and uh everybody sucks. <laughs> Carson Wentz did suck at times last year. There's no question. However, sure. look, I mean, watch the games, pay attention, and you see what you see, and 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 the other thing is listen to the coach. I know it's it's easy to want to find or um, or be contrarian or or just you know find fault, but this man, every single year he's been here, has been absolutely right about his quarterback situation. He told us that that he would figure things out with Andrew luck and you saw a progressive you saw a, an offense progress over the course of that season to by the end of that season. I thought they were a top five offense at the end of 2018. And just in terms of efficiency, and big plays, all of that stuff. 2019, Luck retires. Look, I think he got the absolute best out of Jacoby Brissett. We've never seen Brissett play better, that's for sure. Look at the way Jacoby Brissett has played this year. Okay? I, don't, I don't want to. I don't want to. You saw it. We saw it a <laughs> oh, few weeks ago. I don't right? want to watch
2: any more of that.
1: <laughs> that's That was literally worse than anything he produced in Indianapolis. Very true. And so, look, Frank Reich has to be a factor there. Then Phillip Rivers... Coming off, it was very much a Carson Wentz situation. Coming off one of his worst years, obviously, he had had a much bigger body of work, so, you know, you gave him some benefit of the doubt. But, man, it was rough. And so what does he do in 2020? He has an incredibly efficient season, and he gives them the absolute best shot to maximize what they had on offense. And so, or at least, you know, what he in terms of what he could do. So this year... Frank sticks his neck out, and this is one of the first things I wrote after the deal got done back in the spring. Like Frank is putting it all on the line here, including with his general manager, who was like, "All right, buddy, I trust you, but I don't know." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris was pretty honest about it, right? I mean, I come mean, on, let's did, did, we can we can share some of these private conversations now, right? Did, did you guys watch you guys out there? Did you watch the
2: tape of Wentz last year? Yeah, like I'd have concerns. There was he was there was concern right there with that guy's
1: tape. Yeah, and and I love that, like you know, look, it was kind of behind the scenes conversations we both had them, right, with with both Frank and Chris, but like, you know, Frank was gun ho because he loves everybody, right, and he loves his guys, and he believes he's he's got to, he's a coach. Chris Ballard was kind of like, you know, I hope we're right, <laughs> I trust him. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> but, well, he was right about Rivers. I mean, Frank yeah.
2: is like the offensive GM. Like, let's just be honest. I mean, yeah. Chris Chris had a big role in the draft with Pittman and Taylor. But, I mean, when it comes to quarterbacks, and th- this is this works. I mean, you, you let the coach who decides how the offense is going to be run, you let him pick your quarterback. And they've had such a revolving door, right? Four quarterbacks in four years. People forget how hard that is to tailor your system to these very different skill sets. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I do remember what Frank said in the spring. And you asked him, and he said, look – I have no problem sticking my name out and putting my reputation on the line for guys that I believe in. And it was a little bit of a risky thing to put his name and his reputation on the line for Carson Wentz, considering how poorly Carson played last year. But seven games in, right? He knew it. I mean, he saw it before we did. And um,
1: I think I think if this is going to prove him even more right over time. And I still think that this thing is still a work in progress. I, I still think they're on the front end of this. I don't think they're they're necessarily in. I don't think they've necessarily hit their their stride yet. They have at times, but I think it can get better and will get better. Yeah, I really do because it, it was interrupted by injury both to Wentz and to others around him. And now you get Quentin Nelson back. I thought the protection last night, pretty good. I mean, look, you're dealing with, Joey, you're dealing with Nick Bosa over there. So like, Yeah, it, Bosa beat Fisher too much, but Bosa yeah. can beat anybody. But I think, you know, I can live with that. That guy came in with six sacks in six games, right? So, like, he's going to get pressure. Uh, Eric Fisher, I think last week, admitted that he's not all the way back. Uh, I think he, had, he admitted, for the first time, I thought that, like, this is – it's harder than I expected, you know, like it's going to take longer than I thought. So I'm willing to live with that because I think that's just a a product of circumstances, right? Uh, a, A tackle that's, you know, trying to get his legs back an older tackle is trying to get his legs back after a major injury and a premier pass rusher who just destroys everybody. Okay. I can live with that, but pass protection, pretty good overall. And when Wentz has that, I tell you, that's gonna. He's gonna be able to do good things. Here's here's what I love. Two things. Frank is saying, let's dial it up. And when you say that to Carson Wentz, you are talking his language. Okay, he loves it. It's very much like Andrew Luck. All right, Andrew They Luck, see the game the same way. They do. They do. Remember what Andrew would say to us? I think touchdown, checkdown. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. And he played like it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was a Bruce Arians line. But like. He believed it, and he, he probably thought touchdown, 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 checkdown. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, the first couple of years, right? And so I, but hey, you can't argue that it wasn't fun, and it was certainly productive. So Carson Wentz is the same guy, and and I think the good thing about it is that Frank Reich has has given him that freedom and that and that ability to do that, but also structured it in such a way where he's not putting him in bad positions either. You know, and and Carson has to that's do the his best
2: part. part. Yeah. That's the amazing part is yeah. is Carson plays. I don't want to say a reckless game, but a very aggressive style. Yes, and the fact that he only has one interception is is the most remarkable part. Now, it was a fumble last night, and I watched the replay, and it did it did slip out of his hands. He did have Pascal wide open, and, and Carson said later, "I was thinking six; it was going to be a shovel pass. You Can't have those in in the in the red zone." But that's the key. Because Carson is not having to make the heroic Superman-type plays, thus leading to turnovers. That's why this offense can still be aggressive, still push it down the field, but not turn it over. That's really the best version of this offense. That's what we saw late in 18. And and we're going to have to see it Sunday against the Titans, who are, who are rolling right now and as hot as any team in football. But with Wentz, don't you feel like you've got a chance?
1: And, yeah. and that is everything in this league. If you have a quarterback who can give you a chance. Listen, man, he is... He is playing such a savvy brand of football right now. You know, people will look at these DPI calls and and think or some people if you don't quite grasp what's really happening there. You might look at that and say, "Ah, they're what a bad secondary." And they were, like they sucked. <laughs> okay. But but that's why you take those shots cuz you know they're vulnerable. Number 1, but number 2, these these plays, all right, the balls are underthrown. They're purposely underthrown, okay? You got a you got cornerbacks with their back turned with their backs excuse me turned, and you've got a receiver that that has a step on him. So what do you do? You overthrow it? Excuse me, underthrow it. So he's got to come back to the ball, knowing that DB is not going to turn and make that play because he's flailing, just trying to stay in stride with the receiver. In, in most cases, Michael Pittman last night and some others, but he's just trying to stay in stride, and so and he and doesn't they knew have time to find the football. Right. 49ers led the league in in DPIs coming into the game. That's just good coaching. It was a game plan. There's no question about yeah. it. Like that is that is exactly what it is. It's good coaching and it's it's perceptiveness by the quarterback to understand what you're seeing and and seeing that opportunity. And let me tell you there is no question that that has been a subject of conversation and and preparation and practice. There is no question. That doesn't you don't just show up on Sunday and say, "Ah, hey, here's a chance for interference." No, they have they have met, they have talked about this, they've watched the film, they knew exactly what they were doing. It was absolutely 100% intentional. And that I'm telling you, that's the stuff that is winning stuff right there. Yeah, and Frank said, you know, we don't get yards for those plays, at least in the stat book, but they're hidden
2: yards, and they're absolutely yards that matter, and if if you go back last night, I mean, just like real quick, the defense doesn't even show up for the first drive, and the 49ers march right down a field and score, three chunk runs, seven zip, you're facing third and ten, you fumble on your first possession, you're down ten to zero, I believe, and what do you do? On third and ten, you throw a bomb to Pittman down the left sideline. He is absolutely harassed by the defensive act. It's an obvious flag. But what does he do? He still catches the freaking football. That gave them some juice. That really did give them some momentum. And maybe they win this game regardless of that play. But it really did kind of state loudly and very clearly that the Colts are not going to go away and that Pittman's going to be a problem all night. And I thought, really, at the end of the night, you know, he kind of put a cap on it. When he said, you know, it was a five-point game. It was third and ten. Frank's like, you know what? I'm going to throw it. And what do they do? They throw it up to Pittman. And not only does he get the first down, he abuses. <laughs> he, I mean, oh. he just embarrasses Drake Patrick. I mean, we're going to see him on You Got Moss tonight for Monday Night Football. And he takes it in for a touchdown. Game. Match. It's over. Michael Pittman just ended it. He just sent the 49ers home. So that's the kind of stuff that really lifts the team. And I think we saw it early from Pittman and we saw it late from
1: Pittman you know I'm gonna say something here I hope I don't like disrespect anybody historically but like Michael Pittman I I've not seen a Colts receiver with his kind of personality and demeanor on the field like name one I, yeah I don't know we noticed
2: this didn't we notice this in training uh-huh. camp like yep. man he's
1: he's like really angry sometimes like I, I think was, somebody tweeted me this, and I, I may have even said this before, or someone has said this. It sounds familiar, but a good comp for him is Anquan Bolden, and it's it's a perfect comp. It's like Anquan played angry, right? He blocked the shit out of you. He he would go down and like you know run over DBs. He would go up and get high point high point jump balls and and catch a ball with a guy all over him. I mean, Anquan Bolden ran like a four seven at the combine. That's not Michael Pittman's. Much faster than that. But, like, he didn't win because he was going to run by you. He won because he was going to take the ball away from you. And and I see he has this ability, Pittman does, to do that, you know? It's like, if I beat you, I beat you. But it doesn't matter because I'll take it from you. And I love the fact that they were able to retain their ability to throw deep without T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell because it was my biggest concern about the passing game. Are they going to have the ability to throw deep? Now, I I get that they're not going to face those defensive backs every week. It's going to be different, obviously. But, given the situation and what they were working with, I thought they got everything they could out of the passing game, given the weather, given the absences to injury, all of it. They got so much more out of the passing game than I anticipated, and they did it because of one guy, and it was Pittman. Obviously, others contributed. But he's the guy who made that thing work. And I'm just telling you, I just think he's so unique in Colts history, I'm not putting him in a historic context yet, but I, I just think, in terms of the the really productive receivers they've had, they've had a very different profile than this guy. He is different in the yeah, best and way. They've, they've been wanting this type of player. They've been
2: wanting this guy since Frank got here. Yeah, and they signed Ebron at the tight end spot to sort of do a little bit of that over the middle. But I remember when you know, I mean, Darius said it last night. He wants to be a bully. When the ball's in the air, he wants to be a bully, and he is. And, and they've wanted this type of big body receiver since they got here. And remember, they signed Devin Funches. And, and I remember talking to Frank and he's like, we need this big target, you know, and, and that never worked out. We know what happened there. But when they drafted Michael Pittman, I looked this up last night. We had a talk, Chris McGeha, the West Coast scout. And he's like, I love going to USC. You get to watch the entire practice. And he would watch these one on one reps. And he said Pittman never lost a one on one rep. And he's a guy that plays above the rim and those jump balls. And you're literally seeing it translate to the NFL level. And I know the DPI thing was all over the game last night, but these are 50-50 balls. And sometimes football is a simple game and it's who wants it more. And almost always Michael Pittman Jr. wants it more than the other guy. And he becomes like a different person. I mean, Frank said he went up to him in camp one day. Frank Racken just said, hey, I appreciate you. You always just want to hit somebody. And there's something to be said for a guy that plays football that hard. And it sort of exudes his his personality kind of comes through when the ball's in the air and he's and, and, and it's up for grabs, right? Yep. And they needed that. It's not just the production, it's the attitude. And he's, he plays like he's pissed off. And they needed that at the wide receiver spot. And I really feel like, I mean, this is very telling and I'll wrap this up, but two guys tweeted last night after Pittman made his big catch. T.Y. Hilton said, I see you, number 11. And Reggie Wayne said Michael Pittman has entered the building. Now, that's some pretty big praise from one of the all-time greats. And I really feel like Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be in the building for a long time. This kid has got a huge ceiling, and he's got a skill set that they're going to love having on that sideline.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Reggie's probably the, the guy who had some elements of what we see from Pittman, but he didn't play like this. I'm not saying he's better. Do not go out there and tweet at me and say I said Michael Pittman is better than Reggie Wayne because that's no, that's no. crazy talk because I don't I think need that, Reggie on my ass about that no I mean like come on man that's insulting but like I, uh. I think Reggie's gonna get in the hall of fame this year right? first of I mean, all
2: Reggie's just watching the game by himself at a bar and apparently someone said <laughs> you don't know what it's like to play in those conditions can we just get an update on that from Reggie
1: I, but I, I think I think that was actually one of my favorite moments of the game and it was 3,000 miles Reggie away. Just come watch with us in the press box. Now, that would be a great story. <laughs> exactly.
2: He can he can bring the drinks. It's fine. He can If he wants. That's cool.
1: Oh, he'll bring drinks. He'll bring cigars. I mean, and he'll bring yeah. the good stuff, you know. So, yeah. you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, definitely out of our tax bracket. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of
0: anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: So here's another guy on offense I think that we have to uh, really cover uh, on some level, and it's obviously it's Jonathan Taylor. Look, this was not his biggest game from a statistical standpoint, and it wasn't going to be anybody's biggest game because... Hello. They were playing in an atmospheric river, I think, which is something I have never heard of. Something wild. Okay. So anyway, that's a thing. So anyway, this was, though, I I thought a game that really demonstrated his value because it's easy to kind of see, all right, when there's a big hole and he bursts through it and he goes for 80 yards, you know, it's easy to appreciate that, okay? It's a little harder to, to really appreciate the little stuff that that moves the chains and turning a a play that's a minus three run into plus four. I mean, that's a seven-yard swing, right? I mean, those are plays that get you victories. They don't feel like it at the time, but when they accumulate over the course of a game, that is how you win. This guy gets more out of nothing than I ever would have imagined he would have uh, early in his career because early in his career... I mean, he's in his second year, so that sounds stupid. But early in his rookie season, he was going to get just whatever was there, and that's it. That's it. He he wasn't getting you anything more. And I thought that was so disappointing because I watched the film from Wisconsin. I'm like, this guy is a home run hitter. And yet, you know, it's a bunch of two and three and four yard runs. What is this? And so now I think he's understood. I mean, he has his learned so fast. I mean, look, th- this guy, an Ivy League level, Uh, academic, uh, performer in high school, right? We know he got, he got admitted to the Ivy leagues. So I don't know that that necessarily makes you a smart football player, but it certainly helps. And, and when you have the kind of football intelligence and combine that with the football intelligence that Jonathan Taylor has, this is what you get. So he is setting guys up to basically make fools of them. (laughs) It's actually you have really got to watch but I'm telling you it it's, is fun to watch. It's beautiful running. It's beautiful it running. If you if you love the game of football. Yeah. And it's just something that I just hope everybody appreciates because I mean he's he talked about it after the game. He says, you know, you got to you got to string it out just long enough and and hold out to the last possible second to make your move because that makes the defender commit to an angle or to get him flat-footed to wait for you or whatever it is. And see he's so confident In his ability to, at that point, either kick it into gear or sidestep somebody because his feet are so ridiculous that he knows he can do that. And so he has, you know, because that's the question. Why doesn't everybody do that? Because they can't, (laughs) okay? They can't. Physically, they can't. And so he has that vision and that sense, that sort of sixth sense that, that football, great football players have. He has that, and then you combine it with just an incredible physical talent and, and feet that move uh, just the way human beings are not supposed to move. Do you remember, real quick before I shut up, do you remember back in training camp when they would do the ladder drills and you watch all the running backs go by You know when they start practice? And you could see it. You could see the difference. You see Jonathan Taylor go, and then you watch the other guys, and you're like, there's no comparison. Like They literally could not do what he does. So in college, this
2: is a tease for this big story I'm working on about 28. In college, he would do that, and his feet were so light that you couldn't even hear him during the ladder drills. And the other running backs would get pissed off because it's like, how do you do this with 220 pounds? You know, at, at 220 pounds, how do you have feet that are that light? But you're right. I mean, it's that little stuff. And I had a really good talk with Scotty Montgomery, the running backs coach, about just those little things that you can see greatness in, in those little drills and it's I mean, you're right. I mean, he set up some runs last night that were it was it was really impressive. The vision is really but stood out to me compared with those first six or seven everyone's talking about the first six or seven games last year where he a little struggled, then it just seemed to click. And he's been this maybe the second best runner in football since.
1: Yeah, and I thought Carson Wentz made a great point. He said he says, What can't he do? And the answer yeah. is nothing. I mean he, they never threw him the ball at Wisconsin. They, like, never threw it to him. And now, like, granted, his hands on, I think, in the passing game, they can be better. But that's I expect that because he's never really caught the ball. No, one's, no one has ever asked him to do that. But anyhow, he's he's now catching the ball, and he's hitting home runs in the passing game. Okay, uh, He's also a good pass protector, which is essential. So you can play him on every down. And they they often do. And then he also uh, understands how to how to run inside, outside. I mean, so he just uh, he's the full package, man. And I'm just telling you, it's it's going to be difficult uh, to contain him, especially when now the the passing game is now stretching the field. I mean, the play action is just going to be lethal, and those opportunities are going to continue to be there. So that's the evolution of the offense. Frank Reich is really smart. Okay. This guy knows ball, he knows what he's doing. he's I think he's a fantastic play caller, but you know what? you're a lot better at it when you got when you got guys to work with like he does, <laughs> okay, So when you've got play action to Jonathan Taylor, oh, all of a sudden you're a better play caller, okay when you got a quarterback with the big arm that Carson wentz has, oh, all of a sudden you're a better play caller, right? I mean so and and you got a monster like. Michael Pittman out there, just guys. Well, you're a better play caller. So, yeah, <laughs> guys is the right word. We got to use that. <laughs> he is. I mean, it's it's fun, man. I I don't know. I mean, I'm not. You know, I don't come at this from a fan perspective, but I just appreciate good football. I just appreciate players executing and doing it the right way. I I just appreciate that. I don't care what team they play for, and I see that with these guys. Man, that's fun. So, I want to briefly hit on the defense because they do have two sides of the football. Um, look, I thought they were, they were okay last night. I thought they, they did what they had to do. I don't have any real complaints. I thought, I thought the first drive that was concerning and, and it's, it's going to be something the Colts have to deal with. They don't deal with misdirection very well. And, and, and this is a product of, of the, the way the defense is built. Their personnel, they are fast, fast, uh, see ball, get ball types of players and the way you attack them. And Chris Collinsworth, I think, said this on the broadcast. It's not a secret. Everyone knows you attack those types of defenses by using their speed against them. And so Kyle Shanahan did that. And as Darius Leonard so eloquently pointed out, <laughs> he stopped doing that. <laughs> right. And um, I will say this. They, they got a little pressure. A little. A little pressure. Quitty Pay. showing have a little bit more yeah. from Quiddy Pay yeah. every week. And I thought that they they settled in against the run, and and did a good job there. I I thought they did exactly what they had to do, but I want to say the most important thing I think is turnovers. I get that there was a, a monsoon out there, but um, this is this is what we expected. You know, when they have opportunities, they should go get four turnovers. They now, by the way, are tied for the lead. The league lead in turnovers. They're doing you're gonna, exactly what they said they were going to do. You're going to laugh, but you know what they're on pace for. I know. I just did the math. They're on pace for 39.
2: Crazy. And 40 is really that like historical benchmark, right? Yep. And, I mean, we had Darius Leonard walk into the podium press conference last night. And I started the press conference by saying, why did you only get one? Because on a night like that, and he honestly was like, yeah, man, I should have had four. But... We should
1: probably pause and mention what this guy's doing. By the way, He's Zach. Got- Zach was totally joking. We like plotted this because <laughs> let's let him in on the joke though. But before we yeah. go on, like Zach, we were talking about this among ourselves, the the beat writers, and we're like, you know, we should totally just screw with Darius when he comes in. Like, you might have said this, I think, and uh, you know, hey, um, why why did you only get one? And we were it was, the question was like, would he get the joke or would he be pissed? It was neither. He took it completely serious and was like, I know, right? He's <laughs> the best. A joke. He's dude. the best. The dude has Hello. eight
2: takeaways in seven games, and he's on pace for 20 by himself, which would have been more than, I think, 11 or 12 teams last year. Teams. Insane. And, and we've talked a lot about this, but look, the defense is frustrating at times. They really struggle against bootleg plays, and they give up chunk runs, and the tackling has not been as good this year. The reason it's acceptable, at least the reason it's sustainable is because you can take the ball away a lot and you force bad quarterbacks, which Jimmy G was last night into those mistakes. And then, you know, Darius is punching the ball out. If you have the takeaways, this defense can survive. I still don't love it. I don't like it at times either. But if you can keep push, you know, getting the ball out, then you can live. But I just I just don't know if long term it's the best it's the best system for them. But without the takeaways, it's going to look really bad, and
1: we've seen that. We saw that the first couple of weeks of the season. So th- there's, from an analytics perspective, um, if I understand this correct correctly, um, turnovers tend to not be like a really sustainable thing because they're a product of like you know, bad quarterbacks or. Maybe even weather, right? Like last night. Matchups, right. Yeah. So, like, sometimes you get them in bunches, and then other games you don't get any. And so, uh, there is a lot of thought that that tends to be the case. And I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. However, I think they're a little different. It does seem, number one, they have always, I think, under Iberflues, been one of the higher turnover teams. So they're they're they have a track record of this. Not at this level obviously, but but definitely they have history of this. So so they're good at it. And I think it's because they they coach it and they also look for players who who fit that mold, players who can produce turnovers. So so for them it's a little more replicable than I think other teams. We'll see if they I don't know if they can keep up this pace and and if they can't then they're going to have to get more stops. But but I will say that I mean it is definitely more replicable for them than most teams, and and that's why you know they live a little dangerously. The bend but don't break philosophy is a real thing. I know they don't they don't love that necessarily. They don't think of it that way, but there's some truth to that. There's no question. Yeah, without a doubt, we all see it. But uh, you know, listen if if you if you get the takeaway, then that's, that is exactly what that is. And they get more of them than anybody. So we'll see. I I think they have, it's inherent to, to who they are as a defense. They're always thinking turnover first. And, and maybe that leads to you getting run over by Derry, by Derrick Henry, like Darius Leonard did a few weeks ago. Right. And you know what he did it. He got up the next time and he went for the ball the next time, I'm sure, you know, so that's just what he does. That's what the rest of these guys do. And I, I want to make this quick point about Darius Leonard. I don't think he's had his... Take the turnovers out of it. I don't know that he's had his best season, right? Uh, he has definitely struggled with that ankle. And, you know, he, yeah. he's m- not made some plays that he would normally make. But if this guy were 100% and were making all the plays that he would typically make, you throw in the way he's, he's made these turnovers. I think if this was a better defense... <laughs> this guy's in the conversation for Defensive Player of the year. it's just it's so yeah. incredible it's not just I think that's that's the thing like right? why are they paying him 100 million dollars? It's because this guy is elite in big plays. he is a big play guy from a linebacker position, just a standard linebacker but he is he's a home run hitter on defense. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, that's you, you pay for that 1%, right? You pay yes. the guys that can do the stuff that no one else could do. I mean, the guy's got 12 punch outs in his career and he's a linebacker. I mean, he punches with like, he punches as well as Charles Tillman used to do it. So, yeah, that's what you're paying for is those game-changing plays and it's a little frenetic way of playing football, right? I mean, the fans are probably out there are exhausted. You're giving up 65-70% completion games against average quarterbacks like Gardner Minshew and I mean, I can go on and on. You guys know the numbers. But then you have these amazing plays that kind of counterbalance that. But it's also a very delicate tightrope to walk where you're giving up a lot of yards, a lot of first downs, and then you kind of try to hold in the end zone and then try to take the ball away a couple times. And you're not going to always be able to do that. And there's going to be some days where you just get flat embarrassed. And we saw that early in the season. But um, Darius Leonard, man, he, he refused to go down with the ankle. He refused to sit out. He's in the hyperbaric chamber every single night. He's watching film through the little glass, and he's on pace for twenty takeaways by himself. For goodness sakes, so um, he is a rare one, and I think this this season may not be his best season of football, but it might be his grittiest, and it, it might be the most emblematic of what he does and why he does it.
1: Yeah, maniac indeed. Uh, so we got to get out of here. Um, I got to get on a flight. You got things to do. But I want before we go, I want to. Uh, just talk briefly about the AFC picture. I want to hit on the Titans as well. So really interesting day yesterday. I mean, the AFC is like a freaking, you know, haunted house. It's just incredible right now. Um, I don't know who's good <laughs> and who's not. And I don't, I have no idea who's going to win from week to week. That's all we know right now in the AFC. That we don't know anything. Uh, that Now, however, that being said, I think the Titans, that bears some watching and in terms of what they appear to be. And so I guess I want your thoughts. I mean, they're 5-2, and two, but they also lost to the Jets and I think had a really bad loss to Arizona. Not that that's embarrassing, but they, they didn't show up that day. So what are they? I I don't know. We'll see them next week. They're the, the, they're the team to beat, that's for sure. They've at
2: least earned that. And they're one of three teams that are 5-2 and two right now, and I don't think anybody would have picked the others. The Raiders and the Bengals are both 5-2 and two as well. But, look, Tennessee, you know, you beat Buffalo on Monday night. You come back six days later and it embarrassed the Chiefs. But the Chiefs are bad. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah. But, look, the, the Colts, you know, they're 3-4. and four. They put themselves in position to be in position, right? That was what last night was about. And <laughs> saw Chris Ballard on the way down to the, the press conferences last night, and, and, and he's he's mad about a certain call that just happened on the field. But he's also like, look, a win's a win. And last night in the rain, you take the win on the road. And you're happy because you give yourself a chance to do something next week. This is the big one. You lose this one, and I think the playoffs are gone. If you win, you're going to have a chance down the stretch. You've got some tough ones. You've got Arizona. you got Buffalo. But you've got Houston, and you've got tw- Jacksonville twice. So it's definitely room to do something. I like how the Colts match up against Tennessee. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I've covered too many Colts-Titans games over the years. <laughs> but I really think they could have beat them in Tennessee a couple of weeks ago if Carson was at something better than 50%. Or whatever the hell he was, because he couldn't move in the pocket. And that really limited the game plan. And he missed Pascal on that touchdown, and that might have been a difference. So I think the Titans might come back to life, but the Colts are going to have to win this one up front. Vrabel loves to have the trenches. I mean, that's his thing. He wants to be big up front, and they want to win it up front. The Colts will not shy away from that. And the key here, I think, is if you get Braden Smith back at right tackle and you possibly get T.Y. back. That would be the healthiest this team has been since – freaking august 1st right when carson went down and and they're probably not going to be you know 100 percent or you know at their best but god you get those guys back against this team that could be a really big
1: boost and you're playing at home and that matters yeah i mean look you don't think the titans are going to turn on the tape and be like "Ooh, boy we got to deal with these guys right i mean just like the colts are are going to be you know, buckling their chin straps. I mean, look, you think the Titans are coming into this thinking we got this? <laughs> no. Okay. No, they know what they're doing with tape of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman last night. Right. So, I mean, I think just in the, in the, you know, interim weeks between the, the last game and, and this one coming up, the Colts are a different team. And so I think the Titans recognize that look, these teams know each other. They, the Titans know what the deal is. So we'll see. But, uh, I will say the one thing about the AFC, you know, talked about this game. If they lose it, the playoffs are gone, and that may be true. The other thing I would say, though, the counterpoint is that things are so jumbled right now that I don't know what the wild card picture is going to look like. It's interesting. That's true. Because that's true, and you got seven teams this year. You do. So you've got you got what uh, three wild cards, right? So. You know, it's it's gonna be interesting. I think they'll be in the picture, but but it doesn't matter. Here's here's what matters. Here's the bottom line is the only thing that really matters. If they're gonna make the playoffs, they're gonna to have to win some really tough games to do it. Because you can't do right. it all by beating the garbage teams. You can't do it. It's not enough that you're gonna to have to beat some of those some of those heavy hitters on your schedule. Otherwise, you don't deserve to go. That's what happens right. when you start. Right. You know, Last year you did it. You went, you, you beat the Packers, right? right? And then this year, you
2: got the Titans coming to town. Go beat them. You know, yeah. if you want to be a legit playoff contender, go beat them. It's one thing to beat the Texans and the 49ers and the Dolphins
1: who are mostly not good teams. Right. Go beat the Titans. Yeah. So I think this would be a, a defining win if they pull it off. And, and I think it would change, potentially change the trajectory of the season. It would certainly change how they're viewed if that matters but it's an opportunity look if they're if they're going to get to the playoffs you're not going to do it as i said by beating the garbage teams and and if you get there it means the colts really earned it and that means you know look they have an opportunity when they get there so baby steps though baby steps so we'll see how this goes um to make a prediction i'm not going there yet but let's see how the week plays out from an injury standpoint right right (laughs) let's make sure nobody goes on ir before we get into all that so stay tuned we'll we'll get into that uh here in our coverage this week uh in terms of how that game is shaping up but big game next week colts are three and four they've won three out of four and hey who knew so thanks for listening i am steven holder with zach Kiefer, and this is one percent better